Hi, Stephen. Thanks for being on the channel today. Thanks for having me on. All right. So I just want to talk a little bit or ask you a lot of questions about how you went from being a hair salon owner to owning a home brewing equipment store. <laughs> okay. Um, where shall we start? Okay. Well, let's start with, uh, like, how did you first get into the hair salon business? Oh, goodness. Um, I, I, I started young, right out of high school. And um, I, I, I didn't really have a lot of um, choices at the time. And uh, um, I think an opportunity came up for me to be an apprentice in a hair salon. And um, I, it was, it was with this guy who just, you know, looked cool, I suppose. Um, and I rode the bus with him out from Surrey every day into Vancouver. And I was, I was working at a sandwich place. I'd just graduated. And like I said, I didn't have like a ton of options. Um, I didn't finish school on my terms the way I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I took a, an apprenticeship at, at this hair salon, um, and realized actually that it suited me and my personality quite well. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm a social guy and, uh, it, you know, I like the creativity of it. And I actually realized that, um, once, once I put some effort into it, I could actually be pretty, pretty good at it. So, um, uh, geez, I, I, I started many years ago. I think it was 1990 when I started my hair salon career. Mm -hmm. and, was that um, when you started as an apprentice? Yeah, that's when I started as an apprentice. And um, hairstyling in those days, I, I don't know if it's any any better now, but it was it was unbelievably brutal. Long days, you know, eleven hour days. Um, and you know, as apprentices, we had to be there first, and we left last. And mm -hmm. Um, I worked in a, in a salon that was, that catered to Hong Kong clients. And this is before the handover of, of, of Hong Kong to China. So, um, you know, I was, I was the only white guy in the salon and, uh, um, it, it was a real interesting experience for me and a cultural learning experience as well. Right. So, um, yeah, I did that for a couple of years, um, and became, I, I, they, they call it putting you on the floor. Um, so I finished my apprenticeship about two years in and, and I was put on the floor and I started getting my own clients. Okay. And then yeah. when did you make the move to owning your own hair salon? Yeah, that's kind of, it was a slower transition. Um, I, um, I rented a chair first, you know, so it took me many years. I went to Yaletown and worked in Yaletown and then um, I started renting a chair and that's kind of almost entrepreneurial, you know, it's not, you're not quite an entrepreneur when you, you know, it's a fairly selfish endeavor when you're renting a chair, but you are essentially running your own business. Um, <laughs> and then in 1999, uh, I secured a space on Robson street, Robson and Denman and, uh, opened my, my first shop. Um, the transition to, uh, beer was, is, is a little bit of a longer story. I mean, I, um, I was always a, a hobby marijuana grower. And, um, at some point after, uh, I sold the hair salon, uh, I, you know, I, I was always interested in electronics and, um, system design, you know, for, for marijuana rooms and, you know, how to perfect and automate, uh, as much as I possibly could, you know, watering schedules and lighting schedules. And, um, it, uh, you know, CO2, um, 
uh, for the plants to grow and whatnot. And I, I, you know, I think it started with a book that I bought called switches, contactors and relays or something. And, um, I, I bought this book and read it front to back and started designing my own control panels for, for, um, for grow rooms and other people saw what I was doing and people soon people were hiring me to kind of help them with uh, grow room design. And especially once it got legal, I, I dabbled a little bit, um, in consulting and, um, and helping people kind of, you know, with their grow room automation. And it was all self-taught. Um, if you've done anything like this illegally, it's not like, you can phone um, an air conditioning repairman to come to your house to repair an air conditioner that's broken or, um, you know, you know, a gas fitter, uh, you know, to, to fix um, or to add uh, a gas line so that you can burn carbon dioxide. So you have carbon dioxide available to your plants. Right. So Mm -hmm. I had to learn uh, a lot of things just through um, trial and error and, and research, um, you know, and in those days it was the library, <laughs> and that's in books, you know, you couldn't YouTube it. One day, uh, a friend of mine showed me how to brew beer and, you know, we did it on the stovetop, you know, with a, a five gallon kettle and it was full and there was no spigot in the bottom of the kettle. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, it was just dangerous. It was, you know, it was like witchcraft, right. You know, you had to stir it, you know, and it, it took all day. I remember the brew taking all bloody day. And, um, I just, I just thought that there had to be a better way. And, um, I, I questioned him as to why there wasn't better equipment available for, for brewers. You know, why, you know, why, where's the pump and where's the valve and the solenoids and where, you know, where's all these things that can make this easier at that time there was there was no real entry into the beer equipment space ss brewtech wasn't around and i think maybe spike kettles were was building kettles but they were very basic kettles that they had and um you know so when you look at some of these big players in the market today in in the homebrew industry there was there was none of them i think blickman was the only company that was that was out there and there's nobody doing an electrical system so mm-hmm. Um, I designed an electrical system, which was very rudimentary, very basic. It, it, it involved me drilling holes in pots and, and whatnot. And um, I decided to put it up on some social uh, account. I think it was Google um, Hangouts or something. No, 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 not Hangouts. Do you remember Google used to be in the social media space? No. <laughs> Do you remember that? You, you don't I remember don't that. I mean, you're too young for it probably. No, I'm kidding. But um, yeah, Google used to have a social media platform and, and they were the ones that I think started kind of groups, you know, how you can join the beer brewers group now, or you can join, um, we have one ourselves, uh, the Unibrewery brewers group, um, oh. where people who own Unibrewery systems, they can kind of collaborate and, and whatnot. And so I just found a bunch of beer brewing groups on, on this Google platform and put my product up and, it took about a month and I sold the first one and uh, I, I actually couldn't believe it. And then all of a sudden I started selling more of them and, wow. and I soon I kind of realized that I might actually have a business. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's really cool. And yeah. Then, yeah. So how did it move on from there? Right. Well, um, at the time, 
my partner and I, so my partner being, being my ex-wife, um, we'd owned, uh, a clothing line and she had, um, produced in, in Indonesia and in China. And we even lived in Bali for a period of time while we were producing our clothes and stuff. So yeah, we'd bring our kids and we would, uh, we would go to Bali for a couple months at a time. She would stay longer than me. And then I would come back to Canada and I would sell the clothes and at trade shows. And she taught me a lot about, um, sourcing in Asia and how it worked. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's, you know, there's a lot to learn that way. And whenever I, you know, encountered roadblocks, um, I, I would ask Polly, um, you know, how to, how to do it. And, she, and, you know, her wealth of knowledge kind of, even though it was in the fashion industry and had nothing to do with me sourcing places that could actually make steel products and kettles for me. Um, I, uh, I, I begged and pleaded with manufacturers to, um, to work with me, even though I was only going to order 20 pieces at a time or something. Right. I mean, I started really, really, really small. And I didn't want to take on any debt. I just wanted to operate from cash flow, and I wasn't going to pay myself for a while because I was still cutting hair. And I'd, I'd set up a little salon in my house, and um, I um, I was still able to generate income and try to build this hobby of mine into a real business. Okay. So yeah, I I, I went. Um, I used the Alibaba platform. I actually didn't travel to China once. Um, when uh when i started this yeah oh wow so, yeah i didn't actually have to make a single trip to china i i used alibaba i found suppliers and sourced with suppliers and um you know put pen to paper and um I called in some favors with friends that actually could do 3d renders and cad drawings and stuff for me and and um started started that way i got a shopify store you know what Shopify is what, $29 a month or whatever they are. You know, you can start your own store, you know, just like Carly Kloss says in Wix, you know, a couple clicks and you've got your store. <laughs> Have you seen those Carly Kloss ads? I don't know if you've seen those. Yes, yes. <laughs> Hi, I'm Carly Kloss. Yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah, that's how I did it. Yeah. So you designed, you drew everything, designed it yourself, and then you just had your friend make 3D renders, which you then sent to China, and then they manufactured those drawings. Yes, yes, yes. Oh. And even my electronics, if you look at the, the cases, they started really super basic, but I, I found suppliers, and I know enough about um, electricity to um, understand and to design a system. I mean, thanks to my experience um, in the marijuana industry, um, with automation, I, you know, it, 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 it didn't seem like an insurmountable challenge. And so I started ordering parts and, um, there's, I, I've got a, I, I mean, I, I've got boxes and boxes of parts in my warehouse that I, that aren't good enough to put into my brewing controllers that I, you know, that I was trying and testing and there was a lot of research and development. And I mean, I spent hours building controllers and testing them and, um, and actually, to this day, um, I still build my own controllers to a certain degree. And uh, now, actually, I'm finally getting um, uh, supply of controllers um, being built for me, which is great because it takes a lot of time to build these. But I designed the panels myself, um, the, 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 the enclosures that the controllers are in, and I, I mapped out the electronics and figured it out. Wow. 
Yeah. So how do how does your system your systems differ from other brewing equipment? Like what's special about it? My idea initially was to design an all-in-one brewing system, which would make it um, faster, easier uh, to to brew in your in your own house. And most of the the brewing systems that I had seen up to this point, either they ran on propane. And being in Canada, um, it sucks to brew in propane because you don't want to do it in the winter. Um, now we're in Vancouver, and um, it's it's not that cold in the winter, but it does rain a lot. It's not fun to brew outside if you want to get your your brew day handled. Um, and then there was one guy that was doing electrical brew systems that I knew of, and his systems required thirty amps of power. So my entry into the market was is it possible to brew with 120 volts? Just plug it into your household outlet. Nobody was doing anything like that. Um, so I, I started off with just a three gallon system and it was in a six gallon kettle and it was, and I'd seen these guys in Australia that were doing brew in a bag and it was very, very new. Nobody really was doing brew in a bag um, in North America. I mean, people were doing it. You started seeing it in the forums and stuff, but it was, it was, it was very new. So I designed kind of a brew in a bag system first that would make it possible to brew in under, you know, four hours. Um, and you'd be able to transfer it directly into your fermenter, but you would also have automated some automation, you know, where the mash temperatures would be controlled accurately controlled and it was a recirculatum kind of a forelaufing system mm-hmm. so um that was the beginning of my designs and then i um came up with an idea um which which started off um you know with with a partner actually and he started his own company uh we we actually started sourcing in china together and um i knew a lot about electronics and he knew a little bit about brewing and but um from there um i developed a system which you would actually be able to brew and use a fermenter as your boil kettle and um and and the system is it's a it's it's a little bit of a progression on a brew in a bag type of system, because when you're brewing in a bag, you still have to transfer into a fermenter after. Um, but with my design, you're actually using the fermenter as a hot liquor tank mm-hmm. and you're transferring the, the liquids, you're transferring the wort between your hot liquor tank and a mash tun, which sits outside of the fermenter. And in doing it this way, there's no liquid transfers. And you're actually able to get the get more volume out of it. You know, it's essentially just an all-in-one solution to brew beer in a much shorter period of time. I'm always trying to um, make it quicker, faster, and more efficient. Right? <laughs> quicker, faster, less transfers, less risks of um, of contamination, especially. Uh, when when transferring into fermenter, there's always that risk when when you've done your your, your brew and you you spent four hours, you know, getting it to where you want it, you know, which is, wow, I've hit my efficiency and everything's great. And then there's always that big risk of contamination going into the fermenter, which is completely eliminated if you just boil in the fermenter. Yeah. So for anyone watching, I've actually uh, filmed uh, my friend using that piece of equipment. And so it's the heating element is in the fermenter. And then you have the mash tun, uh, which is a different vessel. And then so the wart gets heated 
in the fermenter and then it goes into the mash tun and then you transfer it back into the fermenter for the boil and the whirlpool and also the fermentation of course takes place in it as well so there's no need to like sanitize your fermenter beforehand because the boil is occurring in there so yeah right saves a lot of time <laughs> yeah totally it does save a lot of time and um you know the my competitor um you know, in this space who, who, um, I mentioned earlier, um, what, what they're doing is kind of an elaboration of brew in a bag where you have to hoist the grains out of mm -hmm. the kettle or, you know, the fermenter for that matter. Um, but the, the problems with the, that type of system, um, is, is that if you, let's say if you're brewing in a hundred liters and you, and you're displacing that with, you know, with, with, with your grains and you pull the grains out, mm -hmm. you're actually only going to get a half full fermenter. But with my design, the, the mash tun sitting on the outside, you're actually able to use the full volume of the mash tun and the full volume of the fermenter. Because when you're draining the mash tun, when you're finished mashing and you want to go into boil, you're actually able to fill that fermenter, you know, right up. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and essentially you're boiling and then making room for, for headspace uh, you know, later. Right. And you can, you can put that lid on, just have the ports open and, um, and, and you're essentially eliminating the need for any sort of chemical sanitizer as well. So you're sterilizing it while you're boiling it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, your equipment, have you sold any to like micro breweries at all? I have sold to micro breweries as, um, as batching systems, mm -hmm. test batching and whatnot. Um, you know, I started kind of getting a little more attention. Um, I, I forgot to kind of tell you, I, I did a Kickstarter campaign, uh, four years ago to, to launch the current product that I'm selling, mm -hmm. um, the Unibrow, which is kind of like my bread and butter product. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's bread and butter, meaning it's the lowest entry that I have. I've got three model lines and the Unibrow is the, is, is the one that we just sell lots of because the, I think the entry points around 1200 us. Um, and after I did that, I started getting, uh, noticed, you know, by some commercial breweries and stuff. And I've sold, I've sold even the Unibrow, which is my all-in-one system, you know, uh, to, you know, it's my entry point to some commercial breweries. And I've also sold the pro systems that I have, um, to a few commercial breweries as well. Um, I'd love to make them big enough I think that's kind of a future plan to get, to to release them in three and five and seven barrel sizes um, for for commercial application because I think it's actually a really cost effective way of doing things. You don't need three vessels and a fermenter. All you need is a mash tun and a fermenter. Mm -hmm. And if you're a commercial brewery, maybe you would just have a mash tun and multiple fermenters mm -hmm. so that you could still um, keep up with your production. So your entry point into the equipment is much much less. And you don't, you know, you don't need as, as, um, much space, um, meaning you don't need as much money to get, to get started in a commercial aspect. And also, I just want to dig a little deeper into your time in the marijuana industry and kind of just <laughs> your thoughts. Like, how did you, like, how did you even get into marijuana? Oh my goodness. Um, well, how much can I say here? Uh, yeah. Mom, you're not watching, right? Yeah. Um, 
you know, it was, it was um, very interesting to me, this illegal plant, which was banned by the world. I mean, it's, it's of the earth, right? I mean, how bad can it be for you? And I always had this stance and this political stance about it, um, where I didn't feel bad about doing it. And I, I, I found it incredibly interesting that people would go out and get completely smashed and be completely out of control and do all kinds of shit that they'd never do if they weren't drunk Mm -hmm. and stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet this, here's this plant that you can smoke that for some, you know, it's medicinal and I never really, you know, dug into the medicinal value of it. Um, but for some people it just, it calms their mind. Um, and I, I felt like that there should be access to it. And, um, I'm not going to lie. There's economic reasons why I did it as well. I mean, it was something that you can make money off, off doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I always felt like I could make a better product than a lot of the stuff that was out there. And I didn't want to pump it full of shit, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I started that way and, and, uh, it, it's, um, it was fun. It was kind of fun. It, you know, I felt like a cowboy, you know, like you're, you're doing this uh, illegal thing. You can get into a lot of trouble for, I had a few close encounters. Um, you know, you met really interesting people. Um, and you know, the criminal element wasn't always exciting. Sometimes it was downright scary and, uh, you know, things happened. Um, but, um, ultimately, ultimately the business was supported by a bunch of like-minded people that felt like it should be allowed and it should be legal. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I did my, my, my fair share of, um, <laughs> did of, you ever have, uh, any run-ins with the law when you were involved? <laughs> yes. Yes. I had a few. Um, I always, came out unscathed. Okay. Luckily. Mm-hmm. Um, one time, one time, one of the very first ones, I was a hairstylist and I had this tiny little, um, room. I had a, a spare room where I could put a few plants in and <laughs> somehow some water went through the floor and the tenant underneath, oh. um, <laughs> was being rained on and they went into the suite and, I had to, um, pay for the repairs. It was very minor repairs. It was a very small system, but, um, I was criminally charged and I, um, I had to, um, retain legal counsel. And so my lawyer was perfectly happy to accept two ounces of fresh bud in exchange for, uh, defending me in, in my case. And, uh, he, we were able to, um, we were able to get off that one. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's just one of many stories. I won't dig too deep. I know. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. Um, I, I, I can't say I do not have a criminal record, um, but I, I did have a few close encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then of, of course, Canada went, got to the point where they legalized and, um, and you were actually able to 
to produce under under a medical license. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was one of the early adopters of that. And I produced um, with um, a medical certificate, which made it, it was, it was still a gray area thing, but it made it elite. It made it legal for you to have a certain quantity of plants, as long as you stayed under the number of plants in your home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I did that and it, it, it certainly gave me some peace of mind. Mm-hmm. And you seem like extremely passionate about the marijuana industry. So why didn't you stick to that as your career path once it got legalized? Ah, That's a good question. Um, I had opportunities. Um, I'm not going to lie. I had opportunities. It's interesting because in 2014, when I started Brow and I incorporated, marijuana was becoming legalized as well, kind of right at that same time, right? Mm -hmm. I I think we've had, what, two or three years of legalization now in Canada, Mm -hmm. but it was it was known that it was, we were moving in a path forward, right? Justin Trudeau was, had just been elected and he announced that he was creating a path forward to full legalization and people offered me positions um, in the industry. And I, I certainly could have accepted it, but I felt at that point, I think, I think my feelings about it were twofold. Um, Number one, there was the the grifter criminal element that um, I was really tired of. Um, uh, let's be honest. A lot of these guys in the legal marijuana space today mm-hmm. are a bunch of ex scammers and um, uh, grifters and um, just bad dudes that have been able to legalize their stuff. Right. So mm-hmm. um there, you know, early on in the industry, when I, when I started growing, it was like-minded individuals, but it really brought that whole criminal element into it. And I always tried to avoid it and stay away from it. And, um, there's, I mean, you, you know, you look at, you look at these companies that went public and, you know, these are just get rich quick pump and dump schemes, a lot of them. And so I I certainly, I just didn't believe in a lot of these business plans that were out there. And I think it's a lot of that's come to fruition, right? There's not a lot of companies that have um, been able to be profitable companies. And maybe I could have, um, you know, done well or done better had I stayed in the industry, but uh, it, it, it just seemed like it was this overinflated, overhyped market that everybody was rushing to get into. And a lot of people just didn't have solid business plans. And th- there was a few people that were serious. Um, and I, I don't know, it, it, it's just gross. It's like, uh, I have to take a shower after, you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Okay. Uh, I can understand. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, w- when you're rushing to legalize something like this, you know, you're you're it's going to bring a strong um, criminal element into it, even mm-hmm. even though it's being legitimized. These these there's a lot of dudes that were doing bad shit before that, right? And now you know they get to put on a suit and tie and pretend like everything's good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Are you working on any new product lines now? I'm always you know working on how to make things better. You know, I, I have a, a filtration system that we just came out with, which is an inline filter to transfer into a keg because I was always finding 
you know, I love hoppy beers and, um, I'm not sure if Brewbird even loves beer or not, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, um, you can appreciate hoppy beers mm-hmm. and with your experience, you would know, like, I, I don't know if this happens to you, but this always happens to me. You know, you, you're throwing half a pound of hops into your fermenter mm-hmm. and, you know, you're dry hopping in your fermenter and it really builds up. And so now you want to rack out of the fermenter. And sometimes it's just not so easy to, to straightforward rack into your kegs. Mm-hmm. Um, so we developed a filter, which is a 10 inch inline filter, kind of like a water filtration device, but it's got a stainless uh, 400 micron inside and you can just hook it up to the racking port on your keg. And uh, I mean, uh, on your fermenter and the, the outflow of your keg, and you can do an oxygen free transfer um, just by pushing gas into the fermenter and it just pushes it directly into your kegs. Um, and I, I've found that extremely useful, uh, you know, because it just takes any guesswork out, you know, nothing sucks more than you're trying to move from the fermenter into your keg and it gets stuck halfway through. And then now you've got to troubleshoot and figure out how you're going to get that 10 gallons of beer into your two kegs. Right. <laughs> so, um, I came up with that. Um, I, uh, what else am I, what else am I working on? Oh, we've got a new controller kind of in the pipeline right now. Hopefully it's going to come out soon. Um, yeah, I'm always trying to make things simpler, easier, faster, better, you know? Yeah. So what you're doing is so non-traditional. So what has the feedback been from the home brewing community? Um, overall, I think pretty positive. Um, in, in the beginning, it, I was met with some challenges, um, with it being accepted in the homebrew community. And of, of course, um, you get, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of people who homebrew are doing it to save money. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think that's often what drives the homebrewing kind of movement in the first place. And, and then there's, of course, there's the artisans who love just, just love brewing and want to create the best brew that they can possibly create. Um, so, you know, for, for the ones that, um, have a philosophy of saving money, um, you know, there was some derogatory, uh, comments that were, that were being put forth, um, about my equipment for sure. Um, I think it took, uh, a while for some people to kind of accept, you know, wow, like twelve hundred dollars and you know that's, we're talking us dollars you know for for that i mean i can i can do that with a plastic cooler and uh you know whatever you know a, a propane burner and a 20 dollar pot you know from costco um yeah great uh of course you can and um you you know you you can make fantastic beer that way um so um i it, it definitely took a little bit of time, you know, for the acceptance, you know, for people to, to say, Hey, well, okay. I, yeah, I can save money, but this is going to save me a lot of time and energy. And, you know, it's, it's, it's still going to pay for itself. It's still a very, it's still very valuable piece of equipment, you know, that I'm selling you. Right. Um, so it, it, it's coming now. Like the business is really, it's almost seven years, I think, or just over seven years since I started the idea, mm-hmm. since I incorporated the company. I didn't start selling until 
I think early 2015 or late 2014, somewhere in there. But um, now it's really starting to get some momentum and it's, it, you know, I'll be honest, it, it wasn't always fun, you know, um, because I, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't even maybe as qualified with my knowledge then as I am now. Um, I was pretty new to brewing. I just saw the equipment and saw what was available and said, I can do better than this. Mm -hmm. So it didn't come from a fact that I was this amazing brewer. Mm -hmm. I'm not an amazing brewer. I mean, I've, I have batches under my belt, but I'm certainly not as um, qualified as you are to understand the science of brewing. But I knew that I could make better equipment than what was out there. And I think it's starting to pay off now. People, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really super rewarding to have somebody buy something and then post that review on, on my website. And I see it and I'm like, wow, like, you know, that's awesome. You know, um, and every now and then I get, you know, a crappy review, uh, <laughs> but you know, that happens, right? Yeah. You can't please everyone. That's right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Stephen. Um, oh, you're welcome. How can people find you in your brew supply shop? Um, Browsupply.com. That's B-R-A-U supply.com. And um, you can reach out to me. You can send me a message. Um, I've got a chat bot. You can chat with me that way. Um, yeah. Okay. That's it. All right. Well, it was awesome. great talking to you. All right. Yeah. Bye. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a great day. Bye. <laughs>